had, uh, geez, I think at the time, uh, if I can pull this out of my pocket, I think Hugh Wade was probably the regional solicitor. Because I think Bob Bartlett had put Hugh in to, to be the chief attorney for the Interior Department at the time. He, he might have been. Yeah, those would be the only kind of guys who, who would have been paying attention to all, all the stuff today that everybody's wringing their hands over. But, uh, well, how about at these... Well, but yeah. in, in any case, it was, uh, it, at that point, there was no regional organization in rural areas either. So we, uh, you know, it, it, we didn't have NANA or uh, uh, any of these uh, regional organizations uh, that might speak for the villages in the region. So if there had been any question at all, it would have come sort of from the individual village councils uh, you know the tribe, the tribal entities. That I doubt very much that they thought of themselves at that point as sovereign uh, entity, tribal entities that dealt directly with the federal government. Right. Well, I guess <clears throat> that's another thing. I suppose it's uh, to be fair about all this that that is probably worth putting on the record because we take all this other stuff for granted today, and that, of course, is. In 1955-56, there obviously were no you know, telephones in villages. The microwave system didn't even come in until after that. There obviously were no newspapers. There was no public radio. Uh, there was no war on poverty, so there wasn't any money. Right. And so the idea that that uh, that if there were people that that actually, I don't, I don't, my guess would be that, that I'm with you, that, that people probably, this was not upon anybody's scope in the villages, but I don't have any personal knowledge of that. But well, I would, I, and, and I would say that from a standpoint of sort of Alaska at large, there was at that point no native issue that was before the general public, before the legislature. Uh, it, in the years after the convention uh, period came when there was talk of the native problem, quote unquote, and uh, the native problem was poverty and uh, uh, a lack of jobs, uh, poor health and so on, uh, and that was in the, uh, that was into the 60s, mid-60s when the war of poverty was going, then we had the quote native problem. Unquote. And uh, but that didn't exist in '55, '56. There was basically no public concern with the uh, with village situation. Right, and then also, but, but then also from from the village on into the convention, because of of all of these, the lack of money, the communication systems, whatever. That that I would assume that there were not many people from villages that showed up to testify on any subject. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't remember anyone from villages testifying. Uh, we had uh, a, a uh, delegate from Yunlaklit who was a uh, minister, uh, Maynard Lundborg, 
on the uh, local government committee. From Kotzebue, we had John Cross, who certainly knew the community. Now, he was a the Gussic? Uh, he, he was a Gussic, uh, married to uh, uh, an Eskimo woman, uh, and, uh, who, uh, and he was a pilot, bush pilot, so he was all over the place. He was an older fellow, uh, sort of long in that area, and very thoroughly steep. But um, he, he, he was not a village elder or a village representative, nor was, nor was Lundborg. In fact, the only native uh, in the whole convention was uh, Frank Barakovich from Quebec, who had been elected at large in Southeast, but he had already been a territorial senator and was well-known and highly esteemed, and he was not elected as a native spokesman. <coughs> okay, well, so... Uh, so then I guess uh, the next question would be that you... So you guys then decided uh, this unorganized borough business. And I guess it's worth just at least putting on the record uh, whether or not, uh, again, that everybody assumed when you created the unorganized borough that um, the unorganized borough included basically the entire geography of Alaska except those areas that became boroughs. Is that... No. Am I over... No. I said it wrong? In, in fact, that's the way... <coughs> the state government, uh, it, not interpreted, but acted under the Constitution. The concept under the Constitution uh, was never that there is an unorganized borough. Hmm. The, the term is always used in plural. And uh, the uh, Constitutional Convention had in mind that the state at the state level, there would be a delineation of regional units. There would be boroughs. You mean like the, the equivalent of like the, like the Anxa regions? Yeah, you know, something, let, let's say the Anxa regions, some okay. kind of logic, socioeconomic units. Uh, and there's some language in the Constitution uh, that um, have common socioeconomic interests and so on. And the, the, um, the idea was that those areas would be delineated and then with participation of the people in each area, there would be a determination whether this should be an organized borough, which would actually function as a government, mm -hmm. government a local government, a municipal government, or would be unorganized, which would be administered by the state, but still have some participation, uh, advisory committees and so on, made up of local people who would participate in the governance by the state and the provision of services to that particular region. <coughs> so the concept from the beginning was that we would have these boroughs, unorganized boroughs, for all the rural areas of the state. Hmm. So it would be sort of the equivalent today of 
of the way we've divided the bush up into REA school districts. Is that something like that? Except that rather than providing education, they'd be providing lots of other right. things. Well, what if if the common view of it is the one that I erroneously just articulated? How did that get get haywire? Well. When Alaska became a state, there was really no urgency in setting up a borough system. So, uh, during the transitional period, <coughs> one of the consultants we had in the Constitution Convention, John Bebout, was hired by the state to look at uh, the question, should we uh, organize the boroughs now? And uh, it basically, and I, w I worked very closely with him, the answer was, there's no hurry, so, you know, and the re transition report was issued and people basically sat back and then all of a sudden uh, some bond attorney says, whoa, uh, it says that uh, there shall be boroughs and cities only and the school district wants to issue independent school district that existed from territorial days and still existed under the state, wants to issue bonds. And uh, they don't have authority to issue bonds. So, uh, uh, whoops, we've got to do something about it. Uh, and they, No, first, first uh, the gradually legislature authorized uh, the establishment of boroughs. And, uh, Nobody was interested in establishing boroughs and taxing themselves, uh, except uh, what is not, uh, what is the Bristol Bay Borough, Macmac, and a couple of communities needed a high school, so they decided, well, we'll tax the canneries in this area, so we'll establish a, a borough, and uh, Jay Hammond was part of that, and they established a borough and built themselves a school. But aside from that, nobody acted. And then, all of a sudden, there was the uh, uh, issue of um, what, what shall we do? And uh, so at that point, uh, they decided that uh, uh, John Rader sponsored what is now called Mandatory Borough Act, where... It was like 61 or something. Yeah, it, where, I think so, yeah. 61 or two, where the uh, uh, areas that had independent school districts, I don't remember, seven or eight or so, uh, more or less, uh, had, to had to either voluntarily establish a borough or, as of a date certain, the, the election district that covered that area would become a uh, organized borough and they would have to exercise the education function, planning, taxation, assessment, and so on. Um, and um, so Anchorage and uh, uh, Matt Valley and um, Juno and lots of others went under that. But it, it was in the context of these first early enactments that, where they didn't want to bother basically with the rest of Alaska. You know, they didn't want to face up to have doing having any initiative. That they uh, they at the state level uh, decided, uh, well, 
anything that's not organized as a borough shall be one unorganized borough. Hmm. Of course, you know, that raises the question that Article 10 says that everything we would be boroughs or cities. But then there was no... Uh, actually, well, this actually raises a very interesting question, which is that if if there was a mandatory borough act to like get people off their duff with respect to this borough business, uh, how come there was no real push in the legislature to make all these villages, as a matter of public policy, organize municipal governments? I mean, it seems you created this opportunity in Title 10 that, that basically the state was going to like use these cities in the organized borough or the or unorganized borough as as sort of the vehicle for for dealing with these little communities from the state out, and then nobody appears to really have pushed all that. You know, there's some some villages after statehood organized second class cities and. You know, about 100 of them, 109, I think, did out of, say, 220, about half. And some of them had IRA councils, and some of them had traditional councils, and they organized under under the state law that you guys created. And then 100 of them didn't, and there doesn't seem to be any state policy that much cared about that. But I, w I would say that the reason nothing was done about the borough, so the unorganized borough, uh, and nothing was done about uh, the uh, 200 communities or 100 communities was that nobody give it give a damn at the state level and uh, uh, the 100 or about 90 of them that did incorporate incorporated because uh, AVEC came along the Alaska Village Electrification Co-op and uh, some lawyer uh, somewhere along the line said for us to uh, deal with village, uh, villages uh, and provide electricity they've got to be incorporated so the villages uh, and they sent out the forms for incorporation or whatever it took and the villages wanted electricity so they went through the step uh, steps necessary to establish a municipal corporation and uh, as Ake, Chuck, and others have shown, uh, they don't, never really cared about being a municipality. And, uh, and when they really seriously thought about it, they said, to hell with them, let's disincorporate. And the number of them now have. Right. Well, do you, I wonder who would love to know who the lawyer was for ABAC. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no uh. idea who came up with that. But it, it, that sort of like, the bond attorney who right. forced the mandatory yeah. borough incorporation. We might still not have boroughs in Alaska except Bristol Bay if somebody hadn't said uh, there's a problem with bonding, uh, the bonds of, uh, of school districts. Hmm. Well, so then, to a certain extent, then I don't, don't want to prejudge this, but, but, but there seems to be this disconnect in, in a political sense between the vision that 
<laughs> if I understand correctly, the vision that the local government committee had during the Constitutional Convention is that by this point in time, Alaska would be completely chopped up sort of the way, for lack of a, of a better example, of the way the Anxa regions are today, that each of those regions throughout the entire state would have a borough government and then all of the communities inside each of these boroughs would be organized <coughs> under Alaska law as a municipality and everybody would be copacetic. Is that, I mean, but, overstating but, the, the vision you guys had in the convention? I, I would say the vision was at a more abstract level uh, that, uh, that we should provide the opportunity for local self-government. And uh, insofar as people wanted to take advantage or the state needed a local government structure, action would be taken to establish these local government units. And uh, in a way, the North Slope Borough is an example of a rural region <coughs> that saw an opportunity to use the Constitution and established a home rule borough and uh, has become wealthy as a result of it. The, you know, the instrument, instrumentality was there and, the, uh, and uh, instrumentality? The, the, the legal structure, the structure was there right. and they created their instrumentality or whatever. But anyway, the, the Norslow Borough went through the process of establishing a home rule borough so they could take advantage of the petroleum industry located within their region. And uh, uh, NANA has done the same thing. And uh, so, it, it, and the regions are very logical, and they did follow the Angsta regions. I have for years been preaching the, the, the concept of regionalization. I did right from the start. Uh, but uh, at my urging, the uh, uh, Local Boundary Commission sponsored a, a, a study called the um, Model Borough, the, the Model Borough Boundary Study, or something like that, where they finally came around and delineated regions in Alaska that would be logical boroughs. Hmm. Uh, there was a uh, meeting in Juneau last year where uh, they invited me and George Rogers and Tom Stewart to uh, meet with them, sit with them, and talk about where we are and where we need to go. And I've done this several times over the decades. And again, so as they talked about the problems they're dealing with, my prescription to them, now that they have the model boundaries, is take the next step and uh, uh, propose uh, uh, incorporation, uh, actually establishing organized boroughs in areas that basically have a tax base, because one of the issues that's coming more and more to the fore is that the state isn't going to fund everybody uh, at the level that we, we've been, become used to. Well, actually, 
that actually anticipates my next question, which, um, which is, it seems to me, in <coughs> retrospect, I mean, because what reminded me of it was the Northshore Borough and, and what Nano's done with the Northwest Arctic Borough, and even what Hammond and, and I guess Hank Ostrowski was still saying in those days for the Bristol Bay Borough, or the Mackinac Borough, whatever it was, that, uh, that this whole, this whole structure in Article 10, <clears throat> the whole concept of municipal government presupposes that within the confine, or maybe uh, this is, I guess, is my supposition, I guess, and I'd be interested in your comment. It seems to me that local government presupposes that within the jurisdictional boundaries of that local government, <clears throat> there, in fact, will be a tax base that can fund that government, which is why, when that tax base exists, as, as what happened in the North Slope and what happened in the Northwest Arctic and with respect to the canneries in Bristol Bay, people will say, yeah, let's organize a local government and provide ourselves services by tapping into the tax base. But if you have a situation throughout most of rural Alaska where there is no tax base, then, then unless the state was going to come down from on top, and the AVAC thing is a good example, which is we're going to give you this money if you mm -hmm. funnel it through this legal apparatus, then local government doesn't make any sense. Or am I being too... Well, essentially, we have done that through the establishment of the REAs, the school districts, the rural school areas, uh, where the state has said, okay, we will fund schools, but there's got to be an area-wide structure with a, <coughs> with a local board and uh, you know, a certain level of uh, participation in home rule, even though we, the state, are financing it. And uh, at this point, probably a logical step for the state would be to use the REAs and say, okay, if you want something else, you know, it's a borough and you, uh, and you can be an unorganized borough and you have these advisory functions and so on. So it, basically we've moved in that direction, uh, except we call them REAs. Right. So, in other words, when the state is enforcing the REAs to tax, you know, just like the Nana Northwest region had an REAA, uh, and uh, it was a local decision for them to transform themselves into an organized borough right. and then adopt a whole new charter and get rid of the REA. And, uh, uh, but that's essentially the progression that was seen by by the uh, local government committee in drafting the article that uh, an area could be unorganized, could exercise certain planning functions, advisory functions, do certain things, and gradually, if capable, move toward organized status. Right, but of course, you know, on the other hand, uh, you know, about the time this all started to become an issue, uh, which was in the early 1980s, 
I can remember that there was municipal revenue sharing. Mm -hmm. And I think you were probably in the legislature at this point, that there was municipal, municipal revenue sharing. But then, of course, Ferguson and Sackett and other people said, oh, well, this is terrible because, because we don't want, you know, there are all these villages that aren't municipal governments because for some reason yeah. they didn't buy into the AVAC deal or whatever other reason it was. And so therefore there was this whole legislative program to give out money to local villages without requiring. They could have said, mm -hmm. fine, if you want the money, it's a matter of state policy, right. if you want the money, organize a municipal government. If you don't want the money, don't organize the municipal government. But the legislature didn't say that. Right. It was like it had no policy as to whether or not it had a preference with respect to what... And it, it didn't. The legislature had no policy. Even no though, preference. even though Article 10 of the Alaska Constitution, you would have thought, would have settled that well, policy choice for them. Or am I being... Well... Uh, I mean, have I misanalyzed that? Uh, well, uh, no. The, the article says there shall be boroughs and cities only, right? Uh, or taxation, as I remember, it, it, it deals with taxation. The tax power right. only be given to cities and boroughs. Uh, but that doesn't mean that every community has to be a city or a borough. In other words, uh, it, it doesn't say it, any settlement, uh, any group of 25 people or more shall become a city, an organized municipality. So, yeah, I, I would say that the legislature, by inaction, did not necessarily violate even the spirit of the uh, constitution of this article. I, and uh, as, I, as I've said before, to me, a very important element of the of Article 10 is the initial phrase. The purpose of this article is maximum local self-government, and uh, um, and I would uh, and then the next uh, phrase uh, or next yeah I guess that's part of Section One uh, calls for liberal interpretation. Right. So, given those two. Uh, you might justify the uh, Ferguson-Sackett approach, saying, okay, we're interpreting the concept liberally that these people are exercising their own self-government, uh, this is how they want to run their affairs, and uh, we'll interpret uh, the Constitution provisions liberally. Okay, so that's, so, so... So then, the legislature not having a a top down out. But breaking balance, you know, goes down so easy. Well, anyway, so I, so I guess where I was at when I when I flipped the tape is that so. So there really wasn't anything in terms of the vision that you guys had 
in the local government committee and in the legislature by the early 1980s not really having a strong preference that that's that lack of strong preference is was not necessarily violated in the spirit of article 10 as you guys yeah, that, that's what I would say okay uh, okay so then uh, I guess the only thing uh, left is whether or not you think there's anything relevant with respect to the proceedings of the Constitutional Convention and your work with the local government committee and the present sovereignty uh, uh, commotion that you think, particularly if we drop this tape out with the Dick Fisher papers at the university that somebody might want to listen to in 20 years that you think that we haven't talked about that you think could be... Well, it, it, skipping the <laughs> last <laughs> irrelevancy. Um, what, what I've been basically tossing around in my head is this concept of a maximum self-government and liberal interpretation and whether we cannot uh, essentially uh, find a means 40 years after the Constitution went into effect of uh, uh, essentially giving state status to tribal councils to as local self-governing units without requiring them to, be, to come into a straitjacket of uh, state general law. Uh, the, uh, one of the home rule provisions of Article 10 uh, says that uh, home rule can be extended to other classes of cities and boroughs or of cities, I don't remember exactly, but so one can extend home rule in the, uh, and, you know, conceivably uh, uh, the, uh, one, one could, by stretching a little bit, say any community in Alaska that is organized as a city, as a tribal government, as anything, uh, uh, can uh, uh, is con hereby considered a 12th class city and can exercise can function uh, under home rule its own uh, home rule charter whether it's called a uh, tribal uh, charter or whatever and will be recognized by the state as being uh, um, a, an instrument for purposes of such and such and such and such, an instrumentality of the state and can legally receive certain states of subventions and whatever. And uh, I, I'm not sure that our courts are ready to be quite that liberal <laughs> in their interpretation of the Constitution, but uh, just a, as a federal Constitution uh, has been interpreted to uh, authorize the federal government uh, and the federal powers that we have today in a way totally beyond any conception of so-called founding fathers may have had the same way I would hope the Alaska Constitution can be flexible and encompass 
solution to uh, insoluble problems? Well, without spinning off and delaying you from picking up your daughter, uh, I think that's a terrific idea. The problem is it Lawyer, may be lawyers. <laughs> no, it may be too late, and that is that that you know what I you know I, I think there's going to be a, my personal view is that there's going to be if in fact the Supreme Court uh, stomps on on sort of the sovereignty ideology, there's going to be a very interesting period of time, window of opportunity as to well, what is everybody going to do next. And if and I hear two two things. One is the reason that we want tribal governments is because under the state system there's all these things that we can't do. And obviously if you could create village home rule government, like for example alcohol and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. that if you, and if you created a home rule class of village government, in theory, that would knock the underpinning out of all those arguments. On the other hand, the, the basis of tribalism is the only people that get to play in the game are members of the tribe. And obviously, for the, under your, the scheme you just articulated for the Alaska legislature to say that, that in uh, Tuxuk Bay, Alaska, if there are 15 Gussic state citizens who are married into the community and are not members of the Tuxuk tribe, that we're going to bless the Tuxuk tribe as a home rule municipal village government, and these people can go screw themselves on election day, that's obviously not a, a situation that I would suspect that our legislature knowing <laughs> what a great bunch of, <laughs> of sensitive people they are to the realities of village life would ever for a moment caught. So I think you probably could have, I think you're right, that's a great idea, but I don't know in this political climate yeah, how, I, how you could do it. I, I'm, I'm not optimistic that you can do it. I just think, you know, there's a kernel there somewhere. And uh, I, I would love to see Article 10 used <laughs> in some kind of constructive way. I, I don't know the answer to that. Well, you could also amend Article, you know, if, if the governor wanted to say, if Article 10 doesn't presently provide for this, let's have an amendment to Article 10 because I love rural Alaska. Yeah, but you see, that doesn't solve the problem of your gussics. Right. Right, but I'm okay. saying that there's two. You're saying, first of all, that you're raising the question, first of all, whether does, does Article 10 presently, as it's now configured, allow the legislature to create home rule villages? And I was saying we could fix that yeah, in the constitutional yeah. amendment. Whether or not, and then I was, was my observation that the ideology and the politics mm -hmm. in native Alaska have, have said that that's no longer acceptable yeah. because that would have to mean that they're no longer an Indian tribe, that they're a home rule municipal government, and that would be anathema. Uh, and it wouldn't have been anathema mm -hmm. in 19... Certainly not in 55, 56. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting, you guys didn't want to put any kind of top-to-bottom deal, but you know, Wayne Aspinall and Scoob Jackson says 
that as a matter of law you shall give the land inside the curtilage of the village to a state municipal yeah. government or to the state and trust for a future municipal government. And they, they had no problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess uh, we probably talked this through, and I uh, appreciate the time, and uh, I guess we can turn this off.